So James 1 begins like this. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad. He says, greetings. So just lay the foundation here. When we consider the source of what we're about to read, we know that the word of God is inspired by God. It was revealed by the Holy Spirit through an individual. In this situation, that individual we understand to be the brother of Jesus. There are a number of James in the New Testament, and not all actually agree which James it is. But most scholars, of which I am not a scholar, but most scholars believe it is the brother of Jesus. There is James, the brother of John, one of the original followers of Jesus, but he is killed in Acts chapter 12 for his faith. This James seems to be the one in Acts chapter Acts 15, who is the leader in the, of the church in Jerusalem. So as we read through this in the coming weeks and months, it's always helpful for me to remember that the human instrument through which the Holy Spirit revealed this truth grew up with, lived with Jesus. That's kind of interesting. Second, and this I think helps me most as I read this book, is that the recipients are Jewish believers. And what's most specific is they're Jewish believers who have scattered, it says that, we just read that, that they were scattered abroad and they were scattered, do you know why? Because of persecution. Because... It tells us in Acts chapter 7, Stephen stands up and preaches, and he proclaims the gospel of Jesus, and the Jewish people respond, the religious leaders respond with great wrath towards him. They actually stone him for what he proclaimed. And then it says in Acts chapter 8, and on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. So what started with one man quickly burst into flames, if you will, like an explosion of persecution that wasn't just towards an individual, but became against the whole church. And they were, the church, the people, scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles, where they stay. They stayed in Jerusalem, but the church that had started there was now scattered. And so the leader, James, brother of Jesus, still in Jerusalem, chooses to write them in their situation of being scattered. So it probably makes sense if we understand that he doesn't start with a bunch of pleasantries. Knowing their situation, he jumps right into the text that many of us know really, really well. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. So he jumps right in, and, and what 
the biggest thing in their life, quite frankly, would have been what they were experiencing because they had, for many of them, lost homes, family, friends, heritage. One day it all changed. We don't know anything about that, but much of the world does know something about that. Persecution that just produces people who flee. We see it in our world today. You can imagine that. Persecution comes and people flee. And so he says, consider it all joy, my brother, and when you encounter various trials. Why? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So the truth you need to know when is what? When you are experiencing trials, hardship, difficulty. Anybody? Now you may go, well, I haven't been on the run because of persecution, because of my faith. Uh, that's not what he says. He says when you encounter various trials. Anybody in here, over in North Orna, anybody experiencing a trial? All right, wait a day or two. If your hand's not up, just, you know, life, his first truth, and this is important, his first First truth that we need to know when we encounter various trials is this, that it is not an if. <laughs> he doesn't say, consider it all joy if you encounter. What's he say? Consider it all joy when. It's not a matter of if, it's just a when and a, a what. Not all people obviously experience the same trials. The people around you, when they raise their hand, they're probably thinking of something differently than you're thinking of. What we tend to do is think, well, is theirs harder than mine or easier than mine? Because, oh, if that was my trial, that'd be easy to consider a joy. Mine, not so much. It's, pre it's pretty easy, is it not? when you encounter trials to compare it to other people in your life? It, it's not a matter of if, but friends, some of you will have it harder than others. Right? Not fair. Some of you are going to have it harder than others. Some of you are going to experience things that lots of other people in this room won't experience. And you might get lost in the severity of your situation in comparison to others. And this is why it's the truth we need to know when. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Why? Because when we encounter it, we're always tempted to think, is God picking on me? No, it's not an if, it's a when. 
Have you ever wondered, is God picking on me or has God forgotten me or has God abandoned me? And if you look at your life and you think, mine's been pretty easy, what do you often wonder? When's the hammer going to fall? Is it our turn? You ever thought that? I remember years ago, one of my sons saying, you know, Dad, in a lot of ways, our life's been pretty easy. It does make me wonder, what's going to be rough for us, and when's that going to come? So you knew it was when, but the reality is, and if you get lost in the justice or the injustice of it's not fair that people encounter different trials, harder trials than other people, you're never going to be able to consider it all joy. Various, when you encounter various trials. Robertson McQuilkin was the president of Columbia, the Bible college that I went to and He wrote a fantastic article. I've shared some of this with you before. It's called Therapeutic Theology for Hurting People. And he begins his article by saying this, I arrived just as my sister Virginia was lifted from the ambulance, strapped to a metal stretcher. When she saw me, her greeting was simply, God has abandoned me. Maybe you'd feel that way too, he says, if your husband had died an agonizing death of cancer less than a year before, and this was your second car accident in that same year, the one you knew intuitively would end your driving forever. But her voice was flat, no wail of self-pity or angry accusations against God. It wasn't the first time my sister had felt abandoned by God. Actually, she'd felt that way periodically over the past 20 years since Margie, her only daughter and joy of her life, was brutally killed. Didn't help that her murderer had killed before and had just been released from prison on the advice of a court-appointed psychiatrist. Didn't make sense that a young woman who loved God and people so intensely should be snuffed out by a madman. Perhaps God abandoned her, too. You get what I'm saying? See, we're not dealing with frivolous. Life is is extremely hard for some people. And even if you go, mine hasn't been extremely hard, even your heart seems hard, doesn't it? It's like, ugh. So frustrating. And what do we need to know when life is hard? Begins, we need to know God's not picking on me. God's not abandoned me. God hasn't forgotten me. It's a win, and it's various. And second, the text tells us we need to know this. Hard is not my enemy. It feels like it, right? Hard feels like an enemy. Hard feels like the enemy that's blocking you from the life that you really want. 
but heart is not my enemy. What's the text say? Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, that's what hard does. It tests, it reveals your faith, knowing that that testing produces endurance. See, I don't like hard. I wish it wasn't hard, but what I need to know is this. Hardship produces what easy won't. Most people you can easily acknowledge this about themselves. We're as mature as we have to be. We're as responsible as we have to be. And hardship exposes us and calls from us something that easy doesn't. Trials. You know this verse, faithful are the wounds of a friend? I think trials are like faithful wounds of a friend. In other words, nobody wants them but everybody needs them. Nobody wants them, but everybody needs them. And they're miserable. They're miserable. Let's not sugarcoat it. They're miserable in the moment and priceless in our story. Correct? Nobody wants hard. But everybody needs hard because hard produces what easy won't. And hard is miserable in the moment. But it becomes priceless in our story. And I'm going to give us opportunity to see that each for ourselves uh, later on. Hard, not my enemy. Hard, and this, this will sound strange, Hard is a friend. Not an easy friend, but a needed friend. Because it does for me what easy won't. You have some friends that you love hanging out with. They're just fun. And that's a good part. But it's always kind of surface. It's fun, but it's surface. But you might have some other folks who, not so much fun, but needed. And they do something for you uh, that that other friend just can't do for you. It's not a shot against them. That's, that's not why they're in your life. Hard is in my life because it produces something that easy won't. And what does it say it produces? What does scripture say? What's it produce? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. If anybody in here, and there's probably many, many of us have tried this, have thought, uh, and maybe you just did this last month, I need to get in shape. 
So you got up early one morning or you went to after work and you started to run. And the, the first 50 yards were fantastic. <laughs> and then you're like, ah, I feel something like right here. And what do you want to do? Stop. Why? Because this is hard. But you all know if you stop as soon as it gets hard, then you'll never gain endurance. It's true physically and it's true spiritually. The hard in our life is God saying, it's not that he goes, oh, I, I didn't mean it to hurt. He knows it hurts. He knows it's hard. He just knows that endurance doesn't come from easy. So when I face hard, what I need to know, it's not my enemy. It's my friend. That's weird, I know. But it's my friend. It's a, a friend who produces something in my life that easy want it produces an endurance. And endurance in a very specific way. It produces endurance in my faith. Again, the, the analogy of I go for a run and it starts to hurt in my side and, and my legs are like, why are you doing this to me? And you want to stop? That's what happens spiritually. You've trusted the Lord in some way, and then something gets hard, and faith stops. It's new territory that it's never gone before. And so hardship, watch, hardship is producing a faith that endures. And that simply means that it's a faith that, remain, that remains present in a new area. where it was previously absent. And it doesn't go. This is, we just sang about the beauty of, of God's word. The reality is God's word tells us that God is faithful in the hard, but faith rarely to almost never moves into the hard in Bible study. It only does in the experience of it. It's just Stuff I know until it becomes stuff I, I live. Enduring faith is a faith that remains present in new situations. It's not more faith that is larger in size because Jesus said a mustard seed is sufficient. We don't need large amounts of faith. We need Faith to be present because the value of our faith is not in the size of it. It's in the object of our faith. I don't need a bunch of faith in a great God. I need a bunch of faith in a weak God. No, I don't because a bunch of faith in a weak God does not make him any stronger. It just makes me more foolish. <laughs> so I don't need a bunch of faith. 
enduring faith, faith present. It's not, oh, I need bigger faith. It's, I need faith more. Present in more situations. I'm going to track this out in a moment. Because verse 3 makes a statement. Testing produces endurance. You know what I think? And this is why, this is truth we need to know. What I think is testing produces quitters. Because I start a run, and I go, okay, I'm quitting. I'll go home. I thought I wanted to be in shape. Actually, I want easy more than I want to be in shape. <laughs> but the scripture makes a statement. The testing of your faith produces endurance. How? Well, it doesn't say. It just says it does. So maybe you have never tried to do this, but this is, this is a, a passage that is very important to many folks. But the difficulty of this passage is it makes a statement but never explains the process, the how. So I've tried to, to think through the original audience that James was writing to. People who used to live in Jerusalem and now were scattered because of persecution. How did that testing produce endurance for them? And then I'll try and walk our stories through that. How does testing produce endurance? The process, I think, goes like this. Hardship Demands, requires, whichever word you want to use, requires new dependence upon God. Let me run this through those Jewish believers who lived in Jerusalem. They heard the gospel and they believed in Jesus. There was repentance. They changed their mind that righteousness was not achieved by keeping the law. Righteousness was achieved by believing in Jesus. They heard that and they believed. They had faith and their faith brought forgiveness. Faith was present for forgiveness then swords started to be swung. And people started dying. And property started being seized. And so what'd they do? They ran. They scattered. Is that bad? No. Somebody was swinging a sword at me, I'd run. So they scatter. And what are they faced with now? New areas need to depend upon God. They had to trust him in ways that they didn't have to trust him in Jerusalem. Wow, now, Lord. Every day we're trusting you to provide for us. I used to have a job in Jerusalem and I had an income. Now I'm on the run. How, are we, how am I going to eat? How am I going to feed my family? See, that's stuff that you haven't, most of you haven't had to depend upon the Lord for. And am I going to live tomorrow? Am I going to survive the week? 
They're going to track me down and take my life. Most of us had to depend upon the Lord that way because we haven't encountered that various trial. But you see how trials produce what? Endurance because the endurance requires, I have to depend on the Lord in some new ways here. Almost everybody, watch, almost everybody begins with a faith. Jesus can forgive me. But then faith more is, well, Jesus can provide for me and Jesus can lead me. Jesus will watch over me. You see, hardship demands new dependence on God and then new dependence produces new experiences of God's sufficiency. See, I love the fact that when he writes them, he is writing to them as they, I don't think they were confused how their hardship had produced endurance. They knew, wow, we've had to depend upon God in new ways. And in those new ways, we've experienced the sufficiency of the Lord. And that is New experiences of God's sufficiency leads to increased faith. But remember, increased faith isn't more faith, it's faith more. In other words, I don't need a watermelon-sized faith. I just need a mustard seed in every new area of dependence. You tracking? This was, this was so helpful for me to recognize it's not size. It's the presence of my faith in the moment of this unique heart. It occurred to me, because Jackie hits spring, and in the spring she thinks, wouldn't it be great to have a garden? And then July hits, and she's like, who wants a garden? That's terrible. Because what? It's about 1,000 degrees, and everything's wilting. So we have a bunch of new flowers at our house. And it looks awesome. But come August, what's going to happen to all those petunias or whatever she bought? What's going to happen? They're going to die, right? So what's the key? Buy more. (laughs) Seems to be the key thus far. Buy more. But it doesn't matter. If you buy more, they'll still still die. See, I don't need more flowers. I need some different flowers. (laughs) Stuff that actually survived the heat. I don't need more faith. I need faith more. I I need faith that not only thrives in springtime, it thrives in June and July and August. And Lord, how about some that would survive December and January? You see what I'm saying? Months, if you can understand that, months bring new challenges. 
And the answer isn't more, it's more faith, it's faith more. A faith that survives the hardships of March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November. You tracking? That's, that's called endurance. You see how that works? This is the statement. It produces endurance of faith that lasts. Why? Because it pushed you into new areas of dependence upon God, which revealed to you new experiences of God's sufficiency, which calls you to go, I can trust him. Not just because I read it in a book somewhere, as I experienced it in my life. And then, let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now understand, never perfect as in never sin? No, perfect as in the sense that if I am growing in that, what do I discover? That I have in God all that I need regardless of the hardship, the trial. There's always, not big faith, there's always just faith presence. And if that's true, and the text says it is, this, this is what we need to know, since that is true, then therefore... Hardship is a cause for joy. I simply put at the end of the rationale what James put at the beginning. James said, count it all joy, and then he explained. I explained and then said, therefore, count it all joy. You, you tracking? No different. It's a cause for joy. Why? Because it's not your enemy. Hardship is your Friend, not the friend you want, but the friend you need. <laughs> because he, that friend, she, that friend, produces what easy won't. Endurance by requiring new levels of dependence, new, giving new experiences of sufficiency, and building, therefore, faith more. All right, so we walked it through with the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. Here's what I want you to do. And I tested this on the staff first and then Thursday night. So this works if you'll work with it. I think all of you in 30 seconds can review your life and very quickly remember four, five, six hards in your life, right? It's not like, well, man, I just really can't remember hard. It's like, what was hard in my life? Oh, I remember. Oh, yeah, and this. So here's what I want you to do. And this is a reason. I want you to start, and this will be as helpful as you participate. <laughs> Would you take a pen, pencil, and maybe on your notes right there, just write through, right now, four, five, six hards that you've experienced throughout your past. If it helps you, you can do it chronological. Four, five, six, just the ones that come to your mind. 
See, hearts are friends we don't forget. I wouldn't ask you to do something that I didn't do, so I'll show you mine. Don't let me interrupt you if you're, you're still writing your, your, your friends down. <laughs> really, and I was studying this passage, I said, wow, this, this passage makes a statement. And I promise, I literally in my office went, I'm going to test this in my life. So I wrote down my own stories here. I'm clicking, but we're not. Maybe give me the next slide. Hey, there we go. So, various. Your list is different than mine and different than anybody else's in the room. But this, literally, I did less than 30 seconds. I started, all right, what was hard? Hard for me, growing up in a broken home. Doesn't mean I hate my mom, hate my dad. It means there was a hardship in the fact that I grew up in a home where we left. My oldest brother, Stayed with dad, my sister, my other brother, left with mom when I was in third grade. That was a trial in my life. When I graduated from college, I moved to a new state to start a new job with a new wife. Am I saying a new wife was a hardship? Yes, I'm saying a new wife was a hardship. Because for her, a new husband was a... Extra hardship. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of all that brand new. When we miscarried with our first. See, sometimes we think of stories in reverse and you go, well, come on, you had six kids. Well, we didn't know that then. We just knew we got pregnant once and she miscarried. And so I can still remember Jackie going, is this going to be true every time? And then when she was 28, her dad died. She was significantly younger than that. I was leading a, a mission trip to, out of the country, and her dad had a major heart attack. And so she was a uh, young mom with uh, like a three-month-old and a 24-month-old and her husband out of the country and new heart. Before we got married, we said, if the Lord gives us kids, we'll have three, maybe four. We ended up with six. Am I grateful for that? Extremely. Was it hard? Extremely. To say something was hard, does that mean that, that therefore we hated them? No, not at all. It was just hard. Hard. 
And then with, back in 2017, New Hard, was my, my dad died because it was new territory. Now, why I'm walking through this because I want you to walk through yours because what became so clear to me was, ah, in every one of these, there were new experiences of dependency upon the Lord. This may sound crazy, but I often, often look back and am extremely thankful for my dependence upon the Lord early, early in my life because in that I experienced the sufficiency of the Lord in a broken home that I would not have needed to know in a whole home. Correct? Some of you know that exactly because that was one of your various trials. Moving and being brand new and having no family, no friends, just a new wife and a new state and a new job, new dependency that for us together, new sufficiency, you see? This miscarriage. I'd never known somebody, I guess nobody talked about it. And then we miscarried and it seemed like everybody had had a miscarriage. And so it took us into new dependency. We, we had not experienced death on that level and not had experienced the body of Christ on that level. So you see, what if you went through your journey of the things that you wrote down and you started to journal and ask yourself this question? How did that heart force me to depend upon the Lord? And how did I then experience his sufficiency? Because when we depend in new ways and we experience his sufficiency in new ways, then we get faith more. Endurance. A faith that is present that was once absent. And when I can, when I can begin to see this in every area, what's the scripture tell me that I can do? How's he start? I can, I can count it all joy because what I initially would have fought as my enemies turned out to be my friends. That's going to be a challenge for you, I understand. But that's the biblical switch to begin to see that that which so long I perceived as my enemies were faithful friends that produced in me what easy would have never produced. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for what I never wanted but so desperately needed because I can look at these friends, I can look at these, and they're not just hards, they are strong. 
stories of God's grace in my life. They have become the most important (laughs) expressions of experiencing God's grace in my life. Friends, not enemies. If that was true in my past hardships, will that be true in my present? You see what I just did? Don't miss it. If it was true in my past, and I can count it all joy as I look in the rearview mirror, and I can see things that were so hard to see then, I can see them more clearly now. And if it was true in my past, and it's going to be true in my present, and tomorrow is coming, will it be true in my future? So count it all joy, my brethren. When you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result. That you would be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. That's the truth we need to know. I want to invite you to stand with me and let's declare that the joy of the Lord is our strength because he's our friend. Though the tears may fall, my song will rise, my song will rise to you. Though my heart may fail, my song will rise, my song will rise to you. While there's breath in my lungs, I will praise you, Lord. In the dead of night, I'll lift my eyes, I'll lift my eyes to you. When the waters rise, I'll lift my eyes, I'll lift my eyes to you. While there's hope in this heart,
so friends, as we, as we go, maybe when we face something hard today, why don't we just say, Lord, how, how are you making this uh, my friend today? And when, just like we sang, there's strength when we say, in those moments, I will praise you, Lord. So when we encounter hardship, let's respond with praise and let's see how the Lord comforts us, walks with us. Um, so really grateful you were here today and we'll see you next time. God bless. Have a great Sunday.